We are in a series called The Power of the Tongue. And in part one, a few weeks ago, I talked to you about having a tongue of faith versus fear versus feelings versus the facts. Uh, I'm curious, how many of you in here would say, by, by show of hands, that you have a problem sometimes uh, with, with your mouth? Okay, <clears throat> how many of you are married to somebody <clears throat> who you think sometimes they have a problem with their mouth? How many of you are sitting near somebody, whether you're behind them or in front of them, and you think there's a chance that they have a problem with their mouth? How many of you are from the north? Okay, so I'll say, there we go, okay, so here we go. So, <laughs> uh, listen, if you think that was bad, just wait. You're gonna really hate me today. So I'm gonna read you a scripture because we're not to compare our mouth to the television or the, the news or social media, we compare our mouth to what God's word says. That's our final authority, right? <clears throat> so I'm gonna read you a scripture, then I'm gonna ask you that same question again and make sure everybody raised their hand, okay? Ephesians 4:29. let no unwholesome talk ever come out of your mouth, but only say what is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress. So far we've all lost. I'm not even finished with the verse. We all lost that it may be a blessing to those who hear it. And the Amplified Bible says, and at the right time. In other words, you can say the right thing, but at the wrong time, and you did wrong. Now, how many of you have a problem with your mouth? Yes, there we go. Some of y'all put somebody else's hand up. That was funny. That's great. So today in part two, I want to talk to you about this. Having a tongue of peace. A tongue of peace. There's a demon straight from hell called the demon of strife. Strife is the opposite of peace. This demon is used to destroy every relationship that you have. Uh, if Satan could kill you, you'd already be dead. If Satan could destroy your marriage, it already, you'd already be divorced. If he could harm your children, they'd be done with. So he can't do it. So what he does is he sends this demon of strife your way. And we choose if we're going to open the door for that demon of strife to come in. The open door the demon of strife uses to get into our life is the doorway of our mouth. 99% of all strife comes from somebody's mouth. Strife is when you have to have the last word in the conversation. Uh, strife is whenever you're gossiping about things you'd have no need to even talk about or even form an opinion about. Uh, strife is whenever um, you argue back and forth, especially in front of your children. Uh, strife is when you know exactly what words that will push the button of that person that you're in relationship with to a place of wrath and anger. I see people already tapping each other on the shoulders. Don't do it now, it's gonna be a horrible Okay, strife destroys more marriages than anything else. Strife can ruin a job that God put you in to be a light to those people, but you brought in strife with your mouth and you lose your witness. Uh, strife can destroy someone's reputation of 50 years with just one sentence. And we think when we say these things to this person and we let them know what we're thinking and we really give them our opinions and a piece of our mind, we think we're hurting them and we are, but in reality, we're actually hurting ourselves more because you reap what you sow. It says in Proverbs 21, 23, whoever guards his tongue keeps his own soul, his own mind, his own will, his own emotions from troubles. Yes, you're hurting their soul. You're destroying your soul 
You're sowing seeds for the same thing to happen to you and your spouse and your children and your job and everything in your life by the words coming out of your mouth. About 20 years ago or so, I was in a, a doctor's office or somewhere where I was having to wait and I hate to wait. So I, I picked up a magazine. It was a science magazine. And the science magazine was talking about how they have these machines now that can hear somebody speaking like a mile or two away. It pulls sound waves out of the air. In other words, as I'm talking to you, the further you get away from me, the less your human natural ears can hear me. But I'm still talking just because you can't hear me. And the sound waves are there. So this machine can get up to a mile away and hear what you're saying. But it takes time. There's a delay because it takes time for words to travel, for the sound to travel, right? So the science magazine said, wouldn't it be cool if they could create a machine that could not just pull words out of the air from a mile away, but could pull words out of the air from 100 years ago? Because just because you don't hear it doesn't mean the sound waves aren't there. They're still going. They're still going 200 years ago. Three, imagine if we could hear Jesus himself uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount. What if that machine could go back thousands of years and we could hear the voice of God say, let there be light. Here's my question. If that machine were in your home, and we could pull out the sound waves of everything that you've said to your family or behind closed doors or about people in authority or about people at work. Let me ask you, would you be embarrassed by what we could hear? Would you be ashamed by it? Or do you think, oh, it's no big deal? Just because you're not saying it anymore doesn't mean those words aren't out there. They're still traveling. They're still in that person's heart whom you said it to. You may not feel that way anymore because your feelings have now lowered and you're, you're not angry. But it, it's still going out. It's still out there in existence. Proverbs 10, 19 says, in a multitude of words, sin is unavoidable. In other words, the more you talk, the more you're going to sin. But he who silences his lips is wise. Um, when I worked for other churches years ago and, and I'd be in staff meetings, I couldn't wait to talk and tell my ideas and here's what I think we should do. And I finally learned that, that every time I do that, I end up saying something so stupid that makes me look you know, like a fool. So I would write on the top of my notebook when I went into a meeting, shut up. I would just tell myself, just shut up, just don't talk. And so my mentor, um, he was helping me with this and he, he told me this scripture and he told me this. Here's how he said it. He said, John Paul, it's better for people to think that you're a fool than for you to open up your mouth and leave no doubt. So it's better just keep your mouth shut. Um, this past week, you know, we were at Disney for our, our anniversary vacation. And um, one day, I, I just, I don't know what happened. I just blew up. I, I did not enjoy at all anything at Disney World. It, it seems like it's very close to hell. There's two things I hate doing. I hate waiting and I hate wasting money. You know what Disney World's all about? <laughs> that waiting and wasting money it is and so one day I, for whatever reason my wife upset me and man I just blew up I mean I just said the most horrible things out loud in front of other people in front of the people that we were with I just regurgitated all over her verbally and I just said me and her I was just I, I, for some reason I got just so anxious and angry and I just I just let her have it and it was horrible it was horrible it was so horrible it ruined our whole day, practically ruined the trip. I repented, you know, a dozen times that night. I repented to the people that we were with who heard me say these things. Um, I, I take full responsibility. I take full responsibility, although it was 100% her fault. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> she thought it'd be a good idea to bring me to Disney World. I mean, did, you know, when people say you have to wait in line, I thought that was like a metaphor. You really, after you enter the park, you spend all day waiting in lines. 
For one ride, we waited 17 hours, I think. That's what I counted, 17 hours. And we wait in line to ride a 30-second ride, and the only goal of the ride is to get your equilibrium off balance so you feel like you're gonna throw up all day long. That's all Disney World is. That's it, that's it. And the money, and people spend money to do this. I ruined our vacation. I said horrible things. I repented. I get back home. We're home Sunday night, and I usually spend a few minutes around midnight Sunday night and talk to God. And what do I need to preach on next Sunday? And God said, I want you to preach on peace. I said, are there any other options out there? Is there anything else we can talk? The worst thing about being a pastor, the worst thing is to have to preach on something that you failed in. That is a horrible thing. To make matters worse, the first scripture that came up in my studies was James 1.26. If you think you're religious, and this is a good religious, not the bad kind, it means serving God. If you think you're serving God, but you don't bridle your tongue, your service is worthless and your heart is deceived. In other words, if I had not repented, I'd have no business preaching today at all. Don't usher in this church. Don't lead worship. Don't play in this. Don't even take out the trash for us if your mouth is constantly going in the wrong direction with no repentance. Your heart's deceived. You think you're serving God, but the Bible says out of the mouth the heart speaks. You're completely deceived. If your mouth's going in the wrong direction and you're doing good things on the outside, it's worthless. It means nothing. You know how much a hot dog is in Disney World? $420. If you want ketchup, it's $440. It's horrible. Okay, so three points for you today. We're talking about peace. So what letter do you think the points all start with? Letter P. So point number one is this, Paul's. Paul's. James 1.19 says, Let every person be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. I'm sure you've heard God gave you two ears and one mouth so you'd listen more and talk less, right? You gotta be, you gotta pause for a minute. Um, there are three types of people. There are people who think before they speak. There are people who think while they're speaking. And there are people who think after they've spoken, okay? I don't know which one you are. I'm kind of the person, I, I think while I talk because I process things verbally. My, my best friend, he processes things in his mind. He can spend three weeks before he ever talks about something. I can't go to bed unless I talk about it. I have to get it out. I'm trying to be the kind of person that thinks, just takes a minute before they talk. Even just a second would probably make my life so much better. The reason a lot of you in here have strife in your home and the thing that's keeping you from peace is in your mind you think, well, I'm right and they're wrong. But the Bible doesn't say it's okay to have strife as long as you're right. It's okay to have strife as long as you know what the Bible actually says and you're arguing with this person and they think something. It doesn't say it's okay to have strife. The minute you bring strife in, you're wrong. The, I don't care what you said, what's going on, what they're doing to you. The minute you allow strife, listen, God has left the conversation. He's a God of peace. He's not a God of strife. The Bible says strife comes from the enemy. Uh, Matthew 12, 25 says this, a house with internal strife is continually brought to destruction. If you want to hand your marriage over on a silver platter to Satan, just keep arguing. If you keep arguing, I promise you, you end up divorced. If you keep gossiping about the boss, you'll be unemployed. If you keep speaking negatively around your friends, you're going to be lonely one day. It will destroy everything in your life and you'll be the reason why because you could not keep your mouth shut. We're talking about pause. Another word would be wait. I have an acronym for wait, and that is this. Why am I talking? <laughs> Why is my mouth open? Why are these words coming out of my mouth? 
You have to ask yourself, um, is this a battle that is worth fighting? If I engage in this conversation, if I respond to this person on Facebook, if I reply to this email, even if I win, even if they understand my point and I really just, even if I get it all out and I win the conversation, what was my prize? Did it further me toward my God-given destiny? Did it make my marriage better? Am I going to get rewarded by God? Or was it a waste of my time? Because if you engage in battles that are not part of your destiny, you won't have the energy, emotional energy, physical energy, to engage in the things that do matter in life. We're only given a certain amount of energy every single day. We have to spend it wisely. We can't spend it in the wrong areas. In 1 Samuel 17, David's father asked him to go take his brothers some food. Uh, David was a lowly shepherd boy, and he, his brothers were in the exciting position of, of the Israeli army. And so David's serving them, taking them food. When he gets there, he sees Goliath taunting all of God's people. So David asks a very wise question. He says this, what will the man get who battles Goliath and wins? If I engage in this fight with this person, is there a reward? Is there a prize? Is it something that's going to make my life better? And in 1 Samuel 17, 25, they said this. Well, the man who defeats Goliath, he'll get to marry the king's daughter. Now, let's just stop. We don't know what she looked like. So, so far, it's not looking good. She could be from Aner with three teeth in her mouth. We don't know, okay? But then he says this. And they'll be free from paying taxes. That's worth it right there, right? That's a battle worth engaging in. So David's getting pumped up like maybe I could do this. As he's talking about this, his brother Eliab, whom he is there to serve, he is serving this family member. Eliab hears what's going on and starts to make fun of David like a lot of older brothers do. In verse 28, he said this, why are you here? And then he says something, because listen, the people that are closest to us, they're the ones that know just what to say to get under our skin, yeah. right? More than anybody else. They know just what to put in that email. They know just what to text us to get us all riled up. And his brother thought, you know what, if there's any area that David's insecure in, it's his job. Because he has the lowest of the lowest of the lowest position of all the family. He's watching someone else's dirty, smelly animals. So he says this, who's watching your little flock of scrawny sheep? You spoiled brat. You just came to watch a fight. Now listen, David had feelings like every man and woman in this room. David knows what it's like to want to punch somebody's lights out. He knows what it's like to want to engage with somebody and just show them that he is stronger, tougher, and shut them up. Men, he knows what it feels. Ladies, David knows what it feels like to want to talk and prove that your motives are pure. If you would just hear why I'm here, I'm asking this out of, I'm not being, I'm doing this because I love God. If you could just understand my heart, if I could just explain to you why I raise my kids this way or why I spend money this way, maybe you would understand. David knows what it's like to be faced with somebody who's trying to engage him in a fight. What is he going to do? David did something that very few men and women have ever done. In verse 30, it says this, David turned away from Eliab. David realized this is not a battle worth fighting. It's not worth opening up my mouth. Then if I engage in this battle, I won't have the energy I need to engage in the battle that does matter, which is Goliath. I have, I'm faced with, I only have a certain amount of energy. If I deal with this, which doesn't matter, I could miss out on the battle that does matter. 
And the reason David was a champion in life, he knew what battles to fight and what battles to turn away from. Proverbs 20 verse 3 says this, any fool can start arguments. It's an honor to cease from strife and avoid a fight. I heard somebody say a bulldog can whoop a skunk any day of the week, but sometimes he decides it's just not worth the stink. <laughs> if, you were, if you were saved back in the 60s and 70s, you'll like this. But this pastor and this music minister, they were always having strife in the church, you know, arguing back and forth. They didn't like each other, and everyone could feel the tension. And the pastor got up, and one day he preached a sermon on how we should be willing to change. And the music minister got up after service and led the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. Then the pastor decided to preach a sermon on giving and tithing. And the music minister then sang, Jesus paid it all. Finally, the, the pastor got up and preached a sermon on gossip and slander. And the music minister sang the song, I love to tell the story. <laughs> Listen, pause <clears throat> before you argue in front of your children. You don't realize it can make them think that's the norm. That's not the norm. Fighting, bickering, arguing is not the norm in a godly marriage. It's not. Now, I realize we all have dysfunctional families. The Bible is full of dysfunctional families. My family growing up, we put the funk in dysfunction. So we know what it's like, okay? But still, you have to understand, maybe your parents did that. It's not normal. Don't do it. Don't ever fight in front of your children, ever. Pause before you decide to gossip about your boss. You could lose your job. Pause before you gripe about the country that you live in. What's wrong with us? We live in the greatest country in the world. Amen. Stop. Pause before these things. Even, even when you're talking about God and you're talking about the Bible to other people, pause. It says Titus 3.9, avoid stupid controversies about the law for they're unprofitable. Let me just say this. The minute strife came in, God left. Pause. Point number two is this. Ponder. You got to ponder. Um, <clears throat> You know, I realize whenever we're talking, sometimes it's hard to think. We, we all talk, you know, Southerners kind of talk slow, but, but I talk fast. So sometimes it's hard for me to think when we're talking. But when you text something or when you post something on social media, you actually get a few seconds to think before you do it. I'm amazed at what some of y'all put on social media. The words that you put amaze me. I mean, it blows my mind. I have to unfollow many of y'all. Every other week I'm unfollowing somebody because of things you're right. Don't ever write something negative about your spouse for the whole world to see on social media. Yeah, and I know you're trying to be funny. Or, you know, my husband forgot to pick the kids up from school today. What am I going to do? Uh, my, my wife made dinner, but she burned it. Where should we order food from? Why would you make your spouse look in a negative light to the whole world? It doesn't make your spouse look bad. It makes you look bad. You, you should want people to see your spouse as the greatest man or the greatest woman in the world. And in the things that some of y'all write about the president of the United States, the commander in chief of our country, I don't care if you don't like him or don't agree with him. We're the Christians. You know, when Trump was in office, all of y'all kept putting, pray, pray, we need to pray. All of us pray for Trump. Everybody pray. We got to get there pray. Let's stop and pray at work. Are you praying for Trump? We got to pray, 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 pray. And then someone gets in office who doesn't know Jesus. And none of the Christians say pray. You know what they do? They slander. You're bringing strife into our country by your mouth, by what you're writing. You're putting more faith in some man than you are God. If you would pray for him like you did Trump, maybe things could be different. 
But you actually make matters worse. Not just because you're bringing strife, because you're the Christians. You know how stupid you make us look when you post bad things about a position of a, a person in a position of authority? Here's why it scares me. If you'll do it about him, you'll do it about me. Yeah. And you'll do it about your kid's principal. And you'll do it about a policewoman or a policeman. Here's why. It has nothing to do with that person. There's a lack of integrity and character in your heart where you think because you have the freedom to say bad things about a person in leadership that you should do it. Just because you have the freedom doesn't mean you should do it. You also have the freedom to pray and encourage and write positive things. You have to say, and listen, let me tell you, God used, I hope that all of y'all gave in the offering before the sermon. Let me just say that. <laughs> Woo! Um, <laughs> because listen, Pharaoh, Pharaoh worshiped false gods. Did Joseph gossip and slander about him or did Joseph pray and try to help him? Joseph tried to help the man, and guess what? God used a man who worshiped false gods to lift Joseph up into a position of authority and promote him and reward him. Here's why. It had nothing to do with Pharaoh. It had to do with the heart of Joseph. And so if you'd say, and listen, and then you come to this church and you want to say bad things about your previous pastor and your previous church to my face, what do you think I'm going to feel when you do that? You know the old TV show, Lost in Space, remember? And the robot was like, Danger Will Robinson, Danger Will Robinson. The second somebody comes to this church and they say bad things about their previous pastor, here's what I think. Danger, John Paul, danger, John Paul. Warning, warning, warning. Watch out. You served that man or that woman. God called you to that place for a season and you're going to walk away and talk bad about it. You'll do the same thing here. It has nothing to do with the person. It has everything to do with an integrity issue. Let me read you a scripture that's about you, okay? It's not about atheists. It's not even about Catholics, okay? It's about you. 1 Corinthians 5.11, do not associate with any Christian. It's telling you the type of Christian, Christian, to walk away from. Not atheist, not agnostic. Walk away from these Christians, okay? So far, it's talking about you. Now, I don't know if this next word is you or not, but the Christian part is you. Who is a slanderer, has a foul mouth. Do not even sit and eat with them. And here's what it says to do if they're part of your church. Drive out the wicked one from among you. You know, the reason that our church is a church of peace and the reason we do have great, great church atmosphere is because all of our leaders are very, very quick to deal with anybody that calls themselves a Christian who's a slanderer or has a foul tongue. A slanderer is this. Anyone, anything unnecessary that causes a person to lower his opinion of another. That's a slanderer. If you're doing it about Joe Biden, you'll do it about somebody else. If you do it about your previous pastor, you'll do it about somebody. It's, a, it's an integrity issue. Paul, think about what you're doing. Are you making life better? Or are you making life worse? In Genesis chapter 9, Noah was on the ark for about a year with his immediate family and a bunch of dirty, smelly animals. I, I imagine after three months, he couldn't tell the two apart. I'm sure it was got really bad. Some of y'all can't even handle a one-day family reunion, okay? He was on there for a year in an enclosed space, couldn't get away. The first thing he did when he got off that ark in verse 21 says, Noah became drunk from wine and lay naked in his tent. And some of y'all are thinking, laughing, because you know that was Friday night for y'all just a few nights ago. What's the big deal, John Paul? We do that every weekend. No, it was a big deal. It was pretty, pretty bad, okay? So no one makes this mistake, and theologically speaking, we don't know why he got drunk and naked. We just know he did. I'm assuming it was because he was so stressed out from everything going on at Disney World. But anyway, and so it says, he's, 
He's on the floor. That was wrong. He's on the floor. He's drunk. He's naked. You know, he, he's in the middle of sin. And, and somebody comes into his tent. It was actually one of his family members. His son, Ham, H-A-M was his name, Ham. Ham comes into this tent. And in verse 22, it said this. When Ham saw his father naked and drunk, to his father's shame, to the shame of the man who raised him, to the shame of the man who saved his life, to the shame of the man who sacrificed so much for him, to the shame, he went out and he told everybody what he saw. He could not wait to pull out his phone and text the information he just heard. He couldn't wait to get on Facebook and say, let me tell you what I know. He couldn't wait to get it out. Two more sons. They heard about it. They handled things completely opposite. In verse 23, they walked backwards into the tent and covered. Everybody say covered. Covered, covered the nakedness of their father while keeping their faces turned. They didn't even want to see him in that condition. They didn't even want the image in their mind. They didn't even want to read it on Facebook. They didn't even want to hear it on the news. They didn't want it in their spirit. They didn't want to know about it. By their actions, they were saying, we know he's wrong. We know he's wrong. We know what he did was sin. That's why we're covering him up. We don't want anybody to see him in this condition. We don't want anyone to know the mistake he made. We don't want anyone from church to hear what happened. We don't want anyone at work to ever talk about this again. We want to cover it. Sometimes we'd be better off not even knowing the things we know or seeing the things we see or watching the things we watch. You know, when it was all said and done, here's the funny thing. God was more upset with Ham than he was Noah. That blows my mind. God was more upset with the one who talked about it than the one who did it. Ham, his children, and his grandchildren were all cursed for life because of what happened. It was passed down to them. The seeds take root. They're out there. They're still out there. 1 Peter 4, 8 says this, love covers a multitude of sins. Love does not expose. Love does not slander. Love does not tell three people around the coffee machine at work. Love always covers just like you want someone to cover for you, just like you want someone to cover for your children when they make a mistake, or your grandchildren. There are these three pastors here in Myrtle Beach, and they decided they would get together one day and go fishing out on the waterway. And um, they started talking together, and one of the pastors said, listen, you know that being a pastor, we can never be ourselves. We, we can never be transparent. Um, everyone's always judging us, always talking about us. So while it's just us in this boat, Let's just let our hair down and let's just each tell what our greatest secret sin is. The sin that nobody knows about, the thing we always struggle with, the thing God's always dealing with us about. Let's just, let's just let it all out here. It's just us in this boat. So they all agree. The first pastor said, well, my greatest secret sin is gambling. And every weekend I go to that casino boat in Little River and every bit of money I have left, I just gamble that stuff away. The next pastor said, my greatest secret sin is marijuana. And man, I have such a stressful week. And I know it's illegal. I know it's wrong. But after Sunday service, I roll me up a joint and I get high. And it just makes my life so much better. That third pastor wasn't saying nothing. And they said, come on, tell us your secret sin. And he wasn't talking. They said, you better tell us what your secret sin is. Now, we told you ours. You tell us yours. 
Finally, that third pastor said, if you want to know what my greatest secret sin is, my greatest secret sin is gossiping. And I can't wait to get out of this boat. Did y'all think that was a real story in the beginning? We all were crazy. Proverbs 6. If it was a real story, I would have said there was a Catholic priest, there was a Baptist pastor, there was not this kid. Joking. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. There are six things the Lord hates. Everybody say hates. hates. That's such a strong word. Now let me tell you, God hates anything that hurts what he loves. You hear me? If God hates it, like divorce, if God hates it, it's because it hurts what he loves and he loves you. So anything that hurts you, which is what he loves the most, he hates, okay? Three out of the six things have to do with our mouth. Three of the six things the Lord hates, a lying tongue, a false witness who, breathes, who only knows half the story, and one who spreads discord or rumors among the brethren. Three out of the six have to do with our mouth. And listen, I don't mean to be rude, but ladies, studies show that you talk three times more than men. You have to be extra careful. You know, if you want to get the word out, you telephone, telegraph, or tell a woman. That's how you want to get the word out. So you got to be very, very careful. I know, I know, it's a bad joke. Wow. I'm going to say it twice at the next service because it was so good. So about 20 years ago or so, I was asked to um, oversee the music at a huge convention that was here in Myrtle Beach. And the focus of the convention was not the music. It was just to, you know, just to kind of open up each service. The focus was these famous pastors from all over who were coming to speak at this convention. I was so excited. They asked me. They paid really well. I couldn't believe it. And I got to get a huge choir together from different churches and all kinds of exciting things. And um, one of the main speakers, the most popular pastor, was actually someone who I'd read about a dozen of his books. I had maybe two dozen of his CDs. And he was a, was a great, great speaker. He wasn't one of my top all-time favorites, but he was just someone I'd learned from over the years. So I was excited to be there. At the end of the week, they asked um, that the person who oversaw the convention uh, took all the pastors and either their wives or their assistant, whoever was there, um, out to a big, nice dinner. And they invited me to go. And it was very obvious in the invitation that I was not to talk. I was just to, you know, sit there and listen and, and just, you know, just they just invited me just to be nice because I'd done all the music. I felt so cool. I mean, I felt so cool. I was the youngest one there. These great pastors were around me. And it'd be like if if, if y'all went out to eat with, with Michael Jackson or for some of y'all Elvis or whoever, okay? Or for some of y'all Bing Crosby. I don't know. But anyway, and so um, I, just, I just felt so cool. Like I was... Wow, I was invited to be around these great men and women of God. And um, they started talking and the conversations were so awesome to hear. And I just sat there in awe of every minute of it. Toward the end of the dinner, one of the pastors asked the more famous pastor. He said, have you heard from brother so-and-so lately? And the pastor who he asked about was actually one of my top favorite pastors of all time. This guy has a huge church in Georgia. He's been on TBN for decades. I even did a tour of his building just to be able to see his office and see his conference room and everything. And this one guy, he asked the famous pastor, have you heard from Brother So-and-so? And I could not wait to hear what he was going to say. I had no idea that he knew this other pastor. He put his fork down. He said, let me tell you about Brother So-and-so. He's having all kinds of problems. I hear he's having affairs. He's not handling the money right. He just bought a Rolls Royce. One of his kids went to jail because they got in an altercation with him. On and on he went. He said, it's been on the news. I'll send you the clip. On and on. Man, I wanted to regurgitate all over the table. I was so upset. I wanted to cry my eyes out. I thought, why are you saying this? 
Why are you saying this? Even if it's 100% true, why would you say it? Why would those words come out of your mouth? And I'm sitting there, I'm nervous, and I'm about to cry. My face is turning white. I don't know if I should get up, if I should sit there. What do I do? And everyone at the table, they were just eating it up. They just kept going on and on and on. You know, when I left that night, my opinion of the famous pastor who I love did not change. Because I don't know if what he's saying is true, number one. I don't know if it is true, if he repented or not. I don't know anything. You know whose opinion actually did change in my heart was the one that was saying all this stuff. When I got home, I'm sure this is wrong, immature, but I threw away every book I had of his. I'd, I'd gotten his autograph that week on a, on a CD. I broke the CD and I threw it away. I was so mad. I could, even if it's 100% true, is it necessary? Do you need to say it or do you just want to say it? Galatians 6, 1 says if you are, oh, anyone's overtaken in sin, it's the spiritual people. It's the spiritual ones who are to gently restore them. What if it were your child? How much would you give for someone to come along and restore your child who had fallen? You know, the beginning of the sermon, I, I told you the story about how I, I messed up really bad in Disney World with my wife and said horrible things. I told you the story because I wanted to try to create an atmosphere of humility because I knew that today was going to be a, 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 some, some very difficult scriptures. But in, in reality, I would never want anyone to know about that. I, I would never want anyone to know that I, I, I talked down to my wife out in public in front of people. Is there a secret sin in your life? Something you've done, something you've said, a website you look at, something that's just between you and God that you don't want anybody to know about? If so, when we cover another's sin, we're actually sowing a seed for God to cover ours. Now, if you want to be exposed, then just expose others. If you want to be slandered, just keep saying what you're saying about the president. If you want it to happen to you, you're sowing seeds. My final point is this, and I'm done. It's a quick point, and it is pursue peace. Pursue peace. In other words, it's not just enough for us to not let strife in. We're actually called as believers to constantly be on the lookout to pursue peace, to sow seeds of peace. How can I bring more peace? We are the bringers of peace in this world. Matthew 18, it says in 1 Peter 3:11, seek peace and harmony. Don't merely desire peaceful relationships. Pursue them. Go after them. Make them more peaceful. Matthew 18, 15, if a fellow believer wrongs you, go to him privately. Not everywhere, not to three people. Go to him privately. And, to, and tell him if he listens, you want him back. It doesn't say if a fellow believer sins or does something wrong. It says if they sin against you, if they wrong you. I'm just trying to get you to see the responsibilities on you. I don't care what they did. The responsibilities on you. You're, the, you're supposed to win them back. You're supposed to pursue peace. Romans 12, 16, adjust yourself to live in harmony. Do everything possible on your part to live in peace. <clears throat> I'll close with this and I'll let you go. Um, when I got saved many years ago, God put, immediately he put three men on my heart to pray for every day for their salvation. The first two years or so, my one friend got saved. About eight years later, another friend got saved. And the third guy, he is still on the road to hell. I mean, he is on the highway to hell. And he's going 90 miles an hour. Just a horrible man. I pray for him every day. He's a horrible human being. I mean, horrible. He has no friends. Nobody likes him. And everything out of his mouth is mean 
or negative or condescending. I mean, you can't even have one conversation with him without hating him when you walk away. But I pray for him every day. Um, a while back, uh, every time I see him, like every time I see him, he says something to me that just is so mean and hurtful, and he just laughs about it like it's no big deal. And I'm thinking, dude, I'm praying for you not to go to hell. Just shut up for a minute, you know, and be nice. And so a few years ago, I, I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to let him know. I'm just going to just get it all out. I'm going to tell him nobody likes you. You have no friends. Even your family hates you. Um, you're going straight to hell. I, if God loves you, I'll be surprised. Like, I, I just had it all worked out to tell him. And I'm on my way there to see him and um, to do the great pastoral thing and be the great pastor that I am. And um, God did what he does best. And God convicted me at the last minute. I wish he would have waited, but he didn't. And, um, and God said, John Paul, what are you doing? I said, God, I'm going to let him have it. And God said, you can't do that. I said, well, God, let me explain it first. Because if you hear my side of it, you might change your mind. Um, <laughs> sometimes I feel like I can manipulate God. Sometimes it's not worked out yet. But one day, I don't know. And um, I said, God, I need to tell him all this. If I could tell him all this, it might help, you know. And God said, John Paul, I'm holding you responsible. I said, what do you mean me? I said, he's the one with the bad mouth. He's the evil one. God said, exactly. I'm holding you responsible because you know better. God said, I'm there. He said, John, you have my peace. He doesn't. You're going to expect him to act as though he has the peace that passes all understanding. You have my peace inside of you. So I'm holding you responsible for bringing peace in that relationship. In life, it doesn't matter what anyone else does or says or how they treat you. God's going to hold you responsible for pursuing peace. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they shall be called the sons of God. If this were your last week to live, what would you not say? And would you really fuss at your spouse about leaving the cabinets open or Dorito fingers on the bed? Oh. My God. <laughs> vegetable fingers on the bed, whatever they are. Would you really, would you really verbalize all the things you don't like about people in authority? Would you really, you know, if this were your last week lived, what would you not say? So let me encourage you. Pause, ponder, pursue peace. Amen. 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 Okay, that's it.